1625. This is the business of sports. Business of sports. From the Economic Times. What does it take to become a professional poker player? I'm sure it's a question that many a Diwali player has considered when they're sitting at one of those tables, crushing anyone and everyone in their proverbial path. I, for one, can't quite relate as I most definitely hold an attribute that keeps me watching quietly from the sidelines. Fear. But the game of poker itself evokes a variety of responses in India. In a country where it is perhaps still not fully been accepted as a mainstream sport by many, the journey of becoming a pro in a fairly biased environment can be quite daunting. And how do you know that you have what it takes to go from amateur to competing in the biggest tournaments in the world? Luckily for me, I have two guests who are very well versed in the matter. They are veterans of the pro poker circuit and have navigated the uncharted waters of the Indian poker scene as successfully as anyone around. But before that, I want to bring in our version of the Diwali poker player, my producer Karan Ravi Shankar, into the conversation so that we can both have a front row seat into a masterclass to discovering the pathway to becoming a pro poker player. Shanks, what are you bringing to the table? No pun intended. Wow, I had a feeling you were going to do something like that. But thanks for having me. Firstly, it's a pleasure being around for this episode with Nikita and Dawal. Just curious, you know, like how the sport's been volatile in the country. And uh, apart from the Diwali parties, I have zero experience where I've just given all my money away to numerous people. Yeah, so just looking forward to understanding the nuances of how it actually works. Because I don't think many of us understand the work that goes into going pro. So looking forward to kind of fleshing all of that out today with Nikita, Tawal, you know, the two very, very, very experienced poker players. Well, you just stole my intro right there and uh, gave away who our guests are in advance and left me with nothing. But now let's get to them. And Shanks and I, of course, know them very well. We will get into their individual stories and backgrounds soon enough. First of all, thank you for joining us, Nikita Luther and Dhawal Mudgal. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Okay. Thanks. That, that, was, that was a very enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This should be fun. That's about as high energy as we're going to get. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. As we want to discuss, you know, the pathway to becoming a pro player as we laid out at the top of the show, and I want to get to each of you and discuss what those steps are. I want to first ask you, and I'll start with you, Nikita. In your mind, what do you think is the most fundamental and non-negotiable attribute that you would need to have to even consider setting off on the path to becoming a pro poker player? Uh, The most fundamental attribute you would need to consider if you want to be a professional poker player would be to understand that this is a game of skill and you need to be aware that it is a strategic skilled game. You can't just jump into it without any knowledge of strategy, without studying it and treating it as any other cards game within quote unquote cards game that you would play on say Diwali. This is completely different. It falls under the genre of mind sports like chess. It is a game with game theory optimal solutions. It is even taught in some of the smartest universities of the world like MIT and Harvard. They teach it as a credit course, not just as an elective side course. So that is how theory-oriented this game is. 
And if you don't understand that it's a skill-based game that you have to play with strategy and you're just blindly wagering money or tokens or however you're playing without applying those concepts, then you are not playing poker. You're just, you're playing a different game. Yeah, Dhaval, I mean, what do you think then is like the most common misunderstanding for a player who thinks that maybe they've got the requisite skills and are able to outplay and outperform people that they've been playing in amateur circuits that actually they need to sort of understand? I personally think that mindset and discipline are probably the two most underwritten things in the sense that we don't really actually end up talking enough about the need for mindset and discipline in this sport. When I started out, which was absurdly long ago, uh, it was like uh, there was no information available. So we were just kind of feeling our way around. We're just better at others by generally being a little smarter in the moment or whatever. Today, the game is much tougher. And uh, obviously, you need to do the work in the back end before you can kind of step out and start playing the big tournaments. If you're looking at it as a fun thing, obviously, it's different. You can just go out there and have fun. But I mean, there's a full structure that you kind of adhere to behind the scenes in order to get to the big big stage as such. And how did it start for you guys? Like, what was that moment when you guys were playing, um, you know, amateur games yourselves? I don't know now how many years you guys have been in the scene. What was that journey for you? At what moment did you realize that, okay, this is something that I can actually take on as a full-time career? Nikita, how did that develop for you? So my story is that I started playing for free on apps like Zynga Poker. And I was just competing with people on my Facebook friend list. And that competition was uh, motivating enough for me to keep going and crushing the free games. And I wanted to, I, I, and I always thought it's some sort of, it's a game of chance and there is no real strategy behind it. But as I played the game, I realized that there are, there are patterns to the game and there are ways of winning if you stick to these patterns and consistently follow some strategies. So I started diving deeper into the strategy of the game and I realized that with just a bit of knowledge, I can actually outperform my opponents by gaining that little bit of edge, by understanding, you know, some of the theory behind it. And eventually I started playing with my friends and I had a friend, uh, Shashank Jain. He's one of the oldest poker players in the country today. He He's still continuing to be a professional poker player. So he actually taught me the basics and the, how to approach certain spots and how to apply it in my game. And that's when I realized that this game can be, you can really improve at this game by doing just a little bit of work, talking to more experienced players and following some sort of a strategy. So that's how I started out. And of course, you have to make your own errors to keep improving. So I made a ton of errors before I was actually ever profitable. <laughs> I was say, you know, she, she said that uh, she started with three games. There was nothing free in my life when I started. I had to pay the cost and kind of get there. <laughs> so, Dhaval, kind of, kind of coming from like you've paid the cost. You've, you have paid the price of, of starting earlier than a lot of people. You know, it, it, when you started out, it, it was, wasn't so accepted societally. The game hadn't developed. The government, there's so many issues. So, yeah. tell us a bit about like how was the landscape when you started off? Well, I believe it's been very tough for a lot of people in the beginning. Luckily for me, I have, I come from a fairly accepting space where I'm pretty much allowed to do the things that I want to. And uh, the transition from music to poker was kind of interesting in the sense that both had uh, 
a certain amount of freedom involved in terms of how you wanted to, when you wanted to work and like at the timings that you would work in or even the clothes you wear to work. And that was obviously very attractive in the beginning in terms of transitioning and uh, made it easier to kind of transition into. But personally, I have not faced as much of a backlash as some of the other people maybe have uh, in terms of acceptance. And But the game is widely had been considered gambling at that point. But year after year, Indian poker players keep going out to the world and showing that, I mean, and keep repeating their performances, which kind of makes it, obvious that there is a that there is a large skill element involved and that india can crush so do, you, do you think like we're in a better place right now like uh, in terms of someone wanting to go pro right now are we in a it's better kind of funny actually that if you'd asked me this maybe 6 to 8 months ago i would think we were in a great place the industry was booming tournaments numbers rising you know price pools growing but there's been a lot of government ordinance that has really started messing with the sport in the sense that a lot of company a lot of governments kind of use a blanket uh, like an umbrella to po- uh, put poker under in the sense that it's online real money gaming. So it falls under fantasy. It falls under whether you play like another Ludo for money or whatever. So they kind of, you know, they kind of put it all into one uh, large umbrella. And so they are doing legislature based on that umbrella. Well, this is completely a game of skill. Uh, obviously, some of the others are not so skill based and have a larger element of chance involved. So uh, a lot of governments are banning it, uh, have kind of gray areas over it. So it's it's a little strange. Luckily, I live in a town where it is completely legal. And uh, so we don't have such issues. Brilliant. Brilliant. Nikki, I, like one of the uh, a question I want to ask you and then after that double as well. If coming back to giving our listeners an understanding of those early stages where you were honing and nurturing your own skill sets, what are those three or four very, very crucial skill sets that you had to really build? I think uh, like any other sport, you have to like practice makes perfect. You have to keep practicing. And then, I mean, increasing in stakes. So that which brings me to my second skill that you need to have is like very good bankroll management is what we call it in poker. So practicing the game and exercising really good bankroll management in the sense that realizing your level where you're at and only playing those games and those stakes and not playing above your bankroll and having really, um, you know, so, and approaching it professionally. You, It's not just something you just show up for. The thing about poker is that there's no accountability. The only person you're accountable to is yourself. And so you do tend to go astray. You do tend to lose discipline but if you really want to do this professionally I mean it's different I'm assuming your question comes from the point of view of going pro right yeah yeah Yeah. very much so if you want to do this professionally then you have to have a methodical approach and that would involve uh, practicing studying bankroll management and being like Dhawal said having the discipline and the right mindset um, to be accountable to yourself because you have no one else to answer to. So you are your own boss and you have to stay in certain boundaries and approach it professionally and follow the first three points with a disciplined mindset. I wanted to sort of talk about that for a little bit, mindset, because for me, that is probably one of the most crucial things. Um, whenever I sit at a poker table, I never last more than 15 seconds because I don't have that mindset where I have the bravery to understand what I've got or what I don't and be able to play against players and and read players as, as well, right? And I know that, Dhaval, you were talking about something with me uh, previously where you say that sometimes you go into games 
knowing that 95% of the time you might be losing money or you might be losing those games. Right. So what does that do for mindset in terms of your approach? That's the funny thing that like in order to succeed at this game, I think you kind of need to be dead inside a bit. Like uh, <laughs> in the sense that uh, it's very like, you know, process over outcome is the one thing that we believe in. So we try and use... We keep doing the right thing over and over, which is theoretically correct, which is right by the numbers. And even though it won't manifest in, in terms of winnings over the course of one hand or two hands or five hands, you kind of try and look at it as one one large session and you keep doing those things over and over. So like process over outcome is important. And so that's that's why you're going to need to be dead inside because you don't you want to use logic to make reasoning and not uh, not like, you know, emotion. So it's like. I play a hand like when we compare this to a sport, there's something kind of interesting. I feel that uh, this is probably the only sport as such, if we can call it so, where an athlete, if we can call ourselves that, uh, playing the A game can lose large amounts of money. Like I can play the best I've ever played and lose absurd amounts of money because there is a part I can control, which is how I play a hand, whether I play it right according to the math, according to the theory. But the actual outcome of the hand does not depend on me because it's the way the card may fall. And I have to be okay with that. If I think I've done it correctly, I have to move on and do it again and not really care about the result, which obviously is the the part which is tough. Can you give us like a real world example of how that's kind of played out? Like the Bhagavad Gita says, na karam karo and phal mat gino. So, doing it over and over. Wow. Like, I'll tell you what he means to say is that uh, real world for the layman to understand that when you're flipping a coin, it, yeah. the odds of it falling heads is 50% and odds of it falling tails is 50%. But when you do it in the short term, you you might do five flips that are actually all tails. And that, then you'll say this coin is 100% tails, which is not accurate. The thing is, uh, if you flip it like a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times, it'll converge to a point where it's 50% tails and 50% heads. And But in the short run, if you see the sample size, there will be, uh, say, flip number 70 to flip number 110, where it was actually 80% tails and only 20% heads. But that doesn't mean the math and the science behind the coin is inaccurate. Odds of the coin being 50-50, is scientific and mathematical fact. But the yeah. flip might end up being 80-20 in the short run. But in the long run, it will converge to its mathematically true nature. Like so, what we sometimes don't tend to understand like as people is that if the coin falls heads 50 times, the probability of uh, it probably uh, falling tails the 51st time is actually still 50-50. It does not get affected yeah. at all, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like a tough sport to be like, like have that integrity towards your own game, you know, if, if when the losses mount up. So when you guys do believe like you are playing it the right way, the way you, you know is correct and the losses keep mounting, where does that courage and bravery to keep sticking it out to, to not look at the, the five coin courses, the, 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 you know, the, the coin tosses not yeah. coin tosses okay. the coin yeah. the coin tosses it's funny because it's somebody's ID on a poker site coin toss yeah coin <laughs> toss right I'm sure he's had it hard in life but but my question is how how do you guys stay true to what you need to stay true to even when the losses start mounting things getting tough where do you find the wherewithal mentally to kind of stick with what is right I think everyone has kind of different processes to deal with situations like this in the sense that there's some people who I know in the industry who would just go and 
keep playing, keep playing, keep playing till they kind of equalize it back. Some And some months I might also go and approach it like that. There might be another time where I'm doing really badly, where I might kind of run away and motivation starts waning. And I kind of take a break from poker for a, a couple of weeks to kind of get my head right. Another week, another time where it would happen, I could just go into like this study zone where I could say, okay, I'm just going to study the hell out of this month. So when I, when I do get to the spot where real money actually make like, you know, decisions will really make a difference. Uh, that's when I want to be completely practiced. So I think it kind of moves in different ways on different days. What you're asking, Karan, is actually a very good question because a lot of people struggle with this because the downswings are really stressful in the sense that a very famous poker player said that there is no other profession where you fail as much as you fail in poker. Uh, like there's no doctor who would go to work in the morning and say, oh shit, I put my liver in the liver transplant, I put the liver in the wrong place. When engineers say, oh, I put the wrong pillar in the wrong building and now the entire building will collapse. Like like the, the margins of error are very small in actual other yeah. professions and poker is the margin. Uh, it's not error exactly, but you will fail. The variance is such, the numbers are such that you will fail more than you will win, actually, uh, especially in tournament poker. You can be a long-term so, winner, but fail more regularly on a daily basis. Yeah, so my, my, basically what I'm asking is, is, is there a lot of emotional intelligence that you have to build so that you can kind of, just like a bit yeah. of like ability to kind of take losses on board, knowing that you're doing the right thing. Is that one of the most crucial things to kind of hone as a skill? Yeah, I think there's no, like he said, there's no one size fits all strategy but there are things that you can do you can take a step back and uh, put in more theoretical study work in your game or you can just keep playing keep playing keep playing till the variance evens out i mean a, a, a lot of people do a lot of uh, different things i am of the version where i'll just take a step back and i'll go on a vacation and i'll just chill if i'm on a downswing but most of the other guys will just keep playing because they're like basically it's a it's, an, it's understanding that that's the nature of the game that the thing that that's the nature of the game is important yeah yeah, but I think that's, that's that you said that you need to take a step back every now and then because it can get so emotionally draining to constantly Absolutely. be able to stand up and battle those forces. But, you know, um, you're also talking about, forget the sort of emotional side of things. You're talking about the science and the data analytics and the studies and the algorithms and the game theory that you have to do. But there's such a huge difference between how you guys approach the game in terms of uh, what an online game is and what an in-life, in-person game is because such a huge part of poker is also about feeding off and reading the emotions of players around you. So can you talk us through kind of what that difference is in terms of your approach when you're playing sort of online poker versus uh, in-person? See, live poker is a lot more fun. You get to meet new people, you get to travel new places to the world, uh, you get to you know, see new towns. So it's just a lot more fun. You're sitting on the table, you're having conversations with people. You can actually look across when somebody makes a big bet against you and say, this guy, this guy, there's no chance he can bluff me. I can see it on his face. I'm going to fold. Or vice versa. This guy's bluffing. He looks so nervous. I can call. And But online, obviously, there are things that you use online as well, like certain timing tells and things like that. And obviously, you have deep notes on everybody where you can kind of, you know, uh, use those to your experience. But uh, Online is where you can make more money, I guess, in the sense that it is giving you a better ROI as such because you're sitting at home, you're only really paying for electricity and you're being able to play tournaments for 
or poker for a large amount of money. When you're traveling, there's overheads involved. Uh, there is a lot more variance in the sense that if I'm out of the tournament, I can't like online. You can keep rebuying into other tournaments, but I can't do that online live after a certain time in the day. So there is a big difference in both, and both take a fair amount of adjustment. I feel. Yeah, Nikki, I, mean, I have a question for you. Yeah. I have a I, on this whole same subject. Like, how do you how do you kind of determine how with the bluffs, right? You can see, you can read people in a in person game, but online poker is it all about like understanding patterns about what they're calling with a little limited amount of information? How do you yeah. understand the players you're sitting with on a on a on a screen? Yeah, then your strategy is more theoretical. It's not so much based on what the player. Of course, you have been playing for so long, so you have player types. Like some people are more inclined to overbluff a certain spot, and some players are underbluffing a certain spot because that's the kind of player they are. And if you don't have those reads, you just make theoretical calls that this is the size of the bed, this is the size of the pot, and I have to. I have to call these many times for me to be indifferent, so I will call X amount mm-hmm. of times. So that is basically how you break it down, just theoretically. But over time, you do pick up reads on your opponents, and you have player profiles where people are uh, uh, they are more inclined to play tighter or wider, and then you make those adjustments based on experience. We we do color coding based on personality types or player types, like yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> The greens are tight. Yeah. The, uh, these ones are bad. And then, so when you're playing ten tables, you can kind of see a general idea of what kind of player you're playing against. Yeah. And then, yeah I wanted to ask that because does that, do you find that that uh, flows into your personal and real lives? Are you like going out and like reading people? <laughs> like when I meet you guys at parties and all, are you like understanding exactly when I'm? Yeah. Like, you know what? I I really do that because as I have. Uh, it's a, it's an it's my hobby or I, I would say like I've been enthusiastic about understanding body language. So just out of pure interest, I've actually done a lot of work on body language and psychology and uh, habit habits and uh, you know behaviors, human behavior and what drives them to behave certain ways. So I am predisposed to pick up reads and tells on people when they're interacting with me. And I and, I, and that makes me like overly suspicious. I, I'm an overly suspicious person. <laughs> and most most poker players are not like that. But I think, yeah, I'm always constantly picking up reads on people. We have spoken Bombshell. quite a bit now on the different attributes and skill sets and mindsets that you need to become a poker player. So now let's say uh, for argument's sake, I'm a professional poker player and it's now about navigating the waters of what it's like, the murky waters of what it's like within India to become a pro poker player. I know Dhaval, you alluded to it it earlier, but how much of a challenge is it when you know, and you're saying it's a little bit easier for you because you live in a state where, um, you know, things are sort of legal, but how difficult is it for poker players around the country, not only from a legal standpoint and from the acceptance in terms of tax and policies, but just societal acceptance as well, because it still kind of has a stigma to it. I think I think a lot of people just, I mean, still kind of think of it like that it's gambling. Oh, you're gambling for a living. So obviously, which is it is not. And to change their perception, it is, I think they have to kind of see somebody playing on TV or something like that, then that gives them a little more, like, you know, when you can visual, when you actually see something happening, you kind of, so there was something called the Poker Sports League that took place in India, which I think went a long way in kind of making it uh, better for a lot of people, like at least at home, because this was being telecast on D-Sport and on Woot. 
So when you suddenly, a lot of mothers and fathers were like, why are you playing poker? Why are you wasting your life? Uh, suddenly when they saw them being presented in a team format, wearing a team jersey like the IPL as such and playing on like television, I think it was very cool for a lot of people. I, as I said, I luckily was kind of just fell into it and had not, no real opposition from my parents at least. I finally had a lot of opposition from my friends who were like, why are you doing this to your life and stuff like that? But my parents were very chill. But I think that a lot of people have found it easier to be accepted today than it was maybe five years ago. Nikki can tell you a lot more about this, I feel, because she's seen more of the drama. (laughs) Right. I think we live in an age of social media and Instagram where we are full of unconventional careers. And it went from... Like if people are influencers as a career choice now, I have a friend who's a skydiving instructor. Like there is no, like you're not confined to this doctor, engineer, lawyer mindset in India anymore, especially with social media and people expanding. Like even, uh, even I would, I would in fact argue that there's so many people who are like, oh, I want to start my own startup. And I would argue that starting a startup is more of a gamble than actually yeah. playing poker or even uh, the, uh, the stock markets or anything because poker and st- uh, poker and stocks actually have a predictable strategies and theories behind them whereas startups is a complete jump into a complete uh, dark i mean poker is like still like they're solving solving the game so you know there is a method to the madness so and the startup success rate is what 97 percent uh, fail failures mm-hmm. So, I mean, wow. business is actually, yeah, yeah. So business is actually more of a gamble than poker is what I would argue to all the aunties who are like, oh, beta, you're gambling or whatever. That is such an awesome way of looking at it because that yeah. is the truth of the matter. But for exactly. some reason, people still can't wrap their head around the fact that, oh, Tash killed or whatever, right? So I think exactly. it's just, uh, it's just such a... I think a lot of the stigma falls from it being a card game more than anything else. Like, because cards in India are associated with... Diwali, which is kind of associated with gambling. But also, like I said, with technology, social media and things like that, people are making careers out of going pro gaming. People are playing Counter-Strike for uh, professionally. I mean, people are making careers out of gaming. Uh, People are... Esports is huge. Esports is massive, especially in Asian, Southeast Asia and Asian countries. So people are becoming more accepting to unconventional careers as in general. And poker is also coming more to the fore, especially because it's broadcast on channels like ESPN in the West, which is a pure sports channel. And a lot of people are becoming more aware of poker since they're starting to play it and understanding, hey, this is not actually, you are actually supposed to play a certain way to be able to be profitable. It's not how the cards are coming to you or whatever. A lot of guys who are bloggers out there, guys who are like streaming nowadays, there's a lot of peripheral poker industry that's kind of taken off. So there's like poker production that's happening, people who are doing live streams, people who are coaching. Uh, So those things are kind of falling into place, which is kind of obviously making it more acceptable because you see it every day on television or on social media or there's, Tawal, there's, Nikki kind of stemming stemming from this exact place, right? It is becoming a bit more, there are tangential career options with all of this. I just want to ask you guys, like, get into, say, stability, right? Like, now, both me, Chala, both of us have, have jobs, we, we do things, and there is a certain amount of stability that comes with it. That I don't know whether we'll be able to do being poker players. So, my question is, uh, Nikki, you, you work with uh, a particular company, right? You're backed by someone. So, what is the what is the nature of that relationship? How does it work? 
Right. And I would just call it surrogate marketing in a way. They need a somebody to market their brand through and then they choose a marketable person or a personality who has certain achievements, who's good with media, who I might not be the best poker player in the country, but they thought they I do have a a world series of poker bracelet which is considered to be the ultimate uh, achievement in this industry and by virtue of being one of the only few females doing this professionally and being you know a marketable person they saw an opportunity in me to uh, I, they identified me as a brand ambassador and they it's sort of like surrogate marketing okay, you know how alcohol companies use uh, music series to market their brand or use uh, something like soda club water soda. to yeah. club soda to market their brand so i think poker companies use poker players to market their brand because they can't just go out and so it's, it's not brands. an employee employer relationship is it is it not like that not at all i'm just, i'm a, i'm a brand ambassador i'm the voice of a brand i am okay. uh, representative of the brand i also lend some credibility to a brand because right, of I my achievements Uh, yeah i think that's uh, the number one thing because if you're any fly by a poker company you will not be able to associate with the biggest poker players in the country poker players are also very selective about who they choose as a brand so offering lending that credibility uh, to their name also comes with endorsing yeah. that brand but i'm not an employee I'm, i am basically there is a sponsorship element that is offered to us where there are certain budgets allotted where we can go represent the brand in international tournaments all over the world a lot of poker players in the country are backed in terms of how they enter certain tournaments and they are staked what is usually the nature of sort of that relationship how does that work like, yeah, like are, you, are the players then playing for themselves or are they playing for the yeah, company there are like two or three arrangements that work one is obviously to be a sponsored pro by site which does not mean that every buy in that you make is paid for by the company but a certain allocated budget through the year is given for something like this then uh, sometimes you just enter on your own sometimes you are part of a something called a stable which is basically say i have some money and i have some inclination to teach poker i will hire a bunch of good hard working guys interview them through whichever my way is put them all to work and teach them coach them and back them like i would put on all the money and we would share profits and uh, obviously the third one is like what most of us do as independents is that we go to play tournaments but we also sell a little bit of equity in ourselves in the sense that uh, i will say okay i'm playing these 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 tournaments over the course of this next week uh, would you like 5% of it and then obviously so that helps me kind of uh, cut down my bottom line in the sense that i my i mean you know Is that added pressure, you. though, or would you just still be playing? No, I think way? anybody who backs you kind of have to be okay with the fact that you have to play your own game. So you know, a lot of what we're talking about can almost feel like a cautionary tale. It's almost like we're warning people about how difficult this life is. You got to be smart. You got to be brave. You got to work hard. You know, you got to be uh, prepared for losses. But there's a huge upside to the world of poker, the life of a pro poker player, and. i can imagine like you know a lot of people thinking oh my god yes there is so much glamour and glitz to it but the reason the stereotypes are there is because it's true to a certain extent so what are the more sort of positive things you guys have faced that will entice people to wanting to become a player right so of course this lifestyle is like none other you have all this freedom and liberty to make any sort of decisions like just recently i went to play a tournament in barcelona on a whim 
I decided four hours before my flight that I, I actually want to go and I just sat on the flight and I left. And that's the kind of independence and freedom uh, that it affords me this uh, this kind of lifestyle. I've been traveled to 10 to 12 countries this year. I've been to some really exotic places like Yellowstone National Park and Antelope Canyon and um, uh, Switzerland straight out of a fairy tale. So I feel super grateful that I'm able to have these uh, kind of experiences, which usually people in a conventional job or conventional lifestyle are literally living up post-retirement like they work hard their entire life to save up for the kind of life we are already living in our mm-hmm. 20s and 30s so the i mean 30s. the upside is yeah <laughs> uh, please do not disclose my age <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll keep it you're in your te- teens 20s 30s 40s it's within, yeah, within yeah, that yeah. range somewhere it's within that range so the upside is really up and that is why we go through the entire struggle and work this hard to uh, be able to lead a life of this uh, level of liberty, freedom and uh, experiences. And of course, there's a fun element that I think Dhaban can talk to us about. No, yeah, I think fun. the travel is definitely a huge upside. I think just meeting new people, seeing new cultures, going to new places, trying to see how people from a different city or a different country kind of react even in game and out game that's that makes it a lot more fun uh i think uh, the fun stuff is really cool in the sense that you know while we think of poker as a very individualist individualistic serious sport everyone's sitting staring each other down what also happens is that when you're deep in a tournament and there's 20 of 20 indians all friends who play together who, are, who landed up for that tournament now say i'm on the final table of this tournament Everyone's going to be at the back singing, dancing, getting, you know, making noise, make, having a lot of fun. And that kind of makes it like, that kind of all makes it worth, the community kind of makes it all worth it as well. Because you actually, you kind of feel like you're winning together, even though it's actually one person winning. But uh, there's, there's yeah. some fun stuff. And like, yeah. Indians can be rowdy and loud, as you know. So it kind of <laughs> picks out the other people on the table. They're just kind of sitting there saying, who are these people singing these terrible Hindi songs? But like, it's fun for okay. us. Yeah, so and we have our fun. Like we, we are in a sports stadium. You might not think it's a sport, but we totally treat it like a sport. We are shouting, we are chanting for our friends. So it's like a spectator we, sport almost. We have fun as well. Yes. We're waiting for the day it becomes a full-blown spectator sport. A lot of people who are trying to do this, right, is because they're thinking about wanting to make buckets and buckets of money. But actually, when you look at it, it's a way of life. That's exactly. now the kind of thing that is what you guys have achieved, which is way more than just a financial incentive. It is the kind of freedom with which you uh, live life. And I think that's amazing. Exactly. There was no there, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you you hit the nail on the head right there. That's that's the that's what I was actually trying to get yeah. to as well. That it's not about oh, what do you the, the that why is it a profession? Because this lifestyle is amazing and it's yeah. not about making money or whatever. That's just the way and of, to be, that's to the side. It's funny to say as a poker player that I don't the money does not excite me. But that's only a very little part of it. Like it's actually being able to. And that's and that's huge coming for someone who used to be a rock star. So living that lifestyle and <laughs> missing those kind of groupies and now being able to become another kind of rock star. There are not so many groupies. Uh, well, we say band-aids. Uh, band-aids is the better uh, better word. That is wow. not groupies. Uh, also, yeah, there is a lack of women in the sport as such. So <laughs> both ways. <laughs> Nikki Dawal, though, if if you guys had to give like a brief piece of advice to an up and coming youngster who wants to kind of who's been playing the sport, wants to do well, what what is it that you would you would say to them? 
even though this is an unconventional sport i would approach it like i will uh, approach any other sport going pro in any other sport you want to be a pro a basketball player or a pro tennis player you have to show up for the practice you have to put in the hours you have to study you have to have the discipline etc etc except the the methods are a bit different but the mindset and things are completely i mean the same and how would you go pro athlete as how i would approach going pro poker and like i said the lifestyle that comes along with it is great you're not aging 5 years in a year by running the rat race in a 9 to 5 job and going through rush hour traffic and you know you're your own boss and you live life on your own terms and of course i'm not saying that i'm not condoning or anything i'm saying if if that is your decision you need to approach it like you would approach going pro athlete I mean, if I you want to be elite, you want to be elite. Double your take on yeah. this, man. I would say learn how to manage the emotional highs and the lows of the game, like because they both sway you in different ways. Work out, meditate. I know it sounds a bit cliched, but it really helps. Like, Was this life yeah. advice or poker advice, Tavar? Bit of both. Like it's a, as you said, it's a way of life now. It's not just a game. <laughs> so yeah. brilliant. I can only imagine that possibly, like when people approach you guys in public, they're probably. one of two things they want to know is one is like how do they become poker players because they feel like they're probably good enough and the second one is what i've been asking you dhawal for a very long time yet to receive an answer i said i'm willing to go 50% on you with for the winnings 0% yeah. on the losses you still haven't told me whether you're okay with that or not <laughs> just imagine that you did go on that and i didn't win anything <laughs> so you have 0% of zero <laughs> No but thank you guys that was very enlightening really insightful conversation and um, hopefully people who are listening to it got some sort of good advice out of that uh, but thank you so much for joining us thank you thank you for having us that was fun and quick thank you yeah this was fun we should do this again brilliant thank you guys Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening, and please do like and share. The business of sports is now streaming on Amazon Music and Geo Savan, apart from Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and of course, ET's very own audio platform, ET Play. Also, shout out to Karan Ravi Shankar, the constant voice in my ear and tap on my shoulder, and of course, thanks to our sound engineer Shumagdi Biswas for putting together the episode. And last but not least our producers Vinay Joshi and the team at the Economic Times. Thanks for listening and we will be back with a new episode at the same time every week. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description. So 1625 This is the business of sports business of sports from the Economic Times